everyone. I'm Beatrice Briggs, Director of the International Institute for Facilitation and Change, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome you to this interview series, which we put together to celebrate the launch of a new publication called the Bonfire Collection, a veritable treasure trove of information and inspiration useful for people who are working in facilitation and change. Some of our authors have generously contributed to be on these interviews to share some of their experiences. And the first of those today is Tara Zagowski, who is a dear friend and valued colleague. Tara lived and worked in Mexico and in Latin America with us for several years and then sadly left to go back to California where she has family and where she also pursued successfully a doctorate uh, in, well, nominally geography, but with a specialty in community engagement. Well, Tara is one of those people who actually finished the doctorate, so Dr. Zagowski, <laughs> congratulations. <laughs> and now she's serving as the director um, of, uh, let me get this right, the uh, Collaboration Center at the University of Davis Extension Services. Is that right? Correct. Thanks. <laughs> Great. And uh, so it's a joy to be back in touch with Tara. And and uh, I'm wondering if, Tara, you'd be willing to share with some of the people who don't have the pleasure of knowing you, how did you get into group facilitation? Yeah, wonderful to be here and wonderful to be celebrating the Bonfire Collection. So thanks for the invitation, Bea. So I was just talking with my husband about this last night. I probably got into facilitation and mediation work as a middle child growing up. <laughs> I have an older and a younger sister, and my parents are New Yorkers and a Jewish family, so there was always lots of you know, conflict and you know, bickering back and forth, especially at dinner tables and I would always try to jump in and solve problems. So that was my early introduction. And then in high school I got really interested in building my skills and joined a pure mediation program. But it wasn't until graduate school I did a master's in community development and there I saw professional facilitators in the field and I just thought what a neat career, how can I get into this? And so when I came to Mexico and joined BIA in, with IFAC, the International Institute for Facilitation and Change, I really dove in and built my skill set, you know, grew my toolkit, and got a lot of training and experience. Well, it, it's it's interesting. Each of us has our own our own tale, but I think you're right. Those early childhood experiences can be very formative. So. Since you've been back in the U.S., um, as I understand it, you've done a lot of work with environmental groups and environmental issues. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what that has looked like? Sure. Much of my work falls between environmental pollution, human health, and protecting California's most vulnerable populations. So two examples of projects I'm currently working on. One is related to a policy called AB 32, which is California's climate change policy, and part of that is coming up with like basically a strategic plan, and part of that plan, um, there's public input in 
on it, and there's also a convening of an environmental justice advisory committee, and I facilitate that committee. I've been facilitating that group for the past year to help put, um, create recommendations for this strategic plan to implement this policy, the regulation 8032. So that's one example. Another example wait, 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 of... I want to hear about the other one, but tell me a little bit more about this concept of environmental justice, because I'm not sure that that's at least, well, the problem may be understood, it may not have that name everywhere in the world. So tell us a little bit more what's involved in the concept of environmental justice. Yeah, so environmental justice, it, there's no one meaning or definition. It, it, it's really contextual and, and it depends on who you ask. But in my opinion, what it is is it's about thinking about which communities, which people are have an unfair burden placed upon them. So in climate change policy you can think about, or in climate change in general, certain groups are going to be impacted more than other groups and they're at a, at a disadvantage. And some of those disadvantages are based on actual environmental impacts, maybe um, facilities based around their neighborhoods, but some of them are also based on vulnerabilities that certain populations have more than others. Maybe if they don't have citizenship, or they don't speak English, or they um, are unemployed, low income, all of these make it challenging to have a say in a public process or have an impact in decision making. And so a lot of my work is about trying to bring opportunities for voice into decision making, government decision making from those communities. Wow, great. And what was the other example you were going to give us? Okay. Well, the other one is uh, related to a screening tool, um, which I've been working on for several years now, but we have a tool that's been developed and, and been very successful in California called CalEnviroScreen. And it's a, it's a mapping GIS tool to identify disadvantaged communities. And this, for this tool, I'm organizing, planning, and facilitating all the public engagement around the state. And so the idea behind it, why it's important, is anyone who is labeled in the top 5% or, or top 10% of most disadvantaged communities here has access to lots of government resources from every agency, from the FIRE, CAL FIRE, to our Air Resources Board, to Governor's Office. There's lots of opportunity to access resources for disadvantaged communities. So who is identified as a disadvantaged community and who isn't is very political and very important. And so we've been organizing, I've been, you know, I have a team I work with, but workshops around the state um, and also in the capital working with communities, cities, governments, all kinds of folks um, to have input on this tool as it's developed and also um, as it grows and, and basically um, gets better and better. We keep adding new data, new metrics, such as you know, drinking water quality, to, to impact who's identified in, in the most disadvantaged. Wow, fascinating and very challenging. <laughs> Tell me a little bit more about, about what um, the, the actual data as a facilitator, what are the challenges that you face when dealing with these multi-stakeholder groups? I mean, you're talking about government and, and citizens and disadvantaged citizens and probably, I don't know, academics. I don't know who else gets in that mix. But, but what are some of the challenges that you face as a facilitator? 
Yeah, so I think in both my research and my work, it all comes back to the word meaningful. And what is meaningful public participation? And, and that's really challenging and very contextual. But I, but I think also related to environmental justice, there's, there's two parts of what's meaningful. It's both the process and the outcome. And so in order to have meaningful public participation or public engagement, you need to have a meaningful process where people have access to decision making, whether that's in a certain language, a certain time of day, a certain location, um, opportunity to speak, all of those things. So people have act, input into the decision, that's the process part. And then the outcome part is they need to see a reflection of public input in the decisions that are made if those decisions are made by the government. So as the facilitator, do you deal both with the public officials and with the community members as you're trying to put these processes together? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and that was something I learned a lot with you as well. So we always create planning teams, and as much as possible, those planning teams, we have folks that are sometimes, of course my paying client is in there, um, but we also, I consider, our other clients, right? Not the ones who are paying, but the ones who have a stake in this. And so community groups that are helping organize this are involved also in our planning groups. And, and whoever else makes sense, whoever has a stake in it that will want to have some say in the agenda or figuring out some of the details of how the workshop is going to be organized. Complex stuff, but so important. And with climate change being every day, a bigger reality all over the world. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I wish that the resources that you bring to bear and that the state of California seems to be willing to provide um, were more universally available. Um, so, but what you personally, I mean, I can imagine some of these public meetings or even the planning committee meetings get pretty emotional and pretty intense. Um, what are some of the skills as a facilitator, besides this commitment to, to, to the issue and to the process and to trying to come up with meaningful results, what is it that you need to bring to the table personally when you sit down with one, in one of these processes? Whew, that question I didn't prepare for. So, Something I learned at one of the International Association of Facilitators conference is, um, I forget the man's name, but he he talks about preparing with this dragon tail. Hmm. I'm talking about, I think, Richard Simon. I can't remember. I said that, but 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 basically thinking about where you've come from, all of your training, all of your experiences, and and helping have those make you stand tall and strong and be a real resource for the people you work with. I, I mean, one of the key things I think about the field is being true to who you are and being yourself and not trying to be anyone else. And for me, I'm a, I relate so much to people and I'm really sensitive to people. And, and I think often that works in my favor. Sometimes it's really challenging. I've been at meetings where one meeting where there was a community that had a what they called a cluster of birth defects. A number of babies, um, many of the babies born within a, about a year and a half time period were born with cleft palate and other birth defects and some of the infants had passed away and 
and mothers and fathers came up, some holding their babies, some holding pictures of their babies who had passed away, talking about their stories and asking the government to intervene, find out what was happening in their community, if it was because of the hazardous waste facility three miles away, if it was because of the drinking water, why was it, and what could they do? And, you know, and there were people upset at the meeting, there were people screaming and, like I said, crying. And, and um, I mean, I felt very emotional, moved by it. And I didn't hide it, but I also had to stand strong. But I think that makes it, I mean, I think it's okay. I think we just need to be ourselves and play our role. And it, like in my case, if I'm connecting to people, I think that's okay. It works, and I and I think that's what makes me good at sometimes at what I do, not always. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think there can be a misunderstanding that facilitators are somehow impervious to right. um, emotions or to personal responses, and even though it's not about us in the least, um, we're in that context, and and I think right showing some humanity is and almost inevitable, especially in those highly charged situations. Yeah, and that's actually one example of why I think I was invited in to facilitate that process. They were looking especially for a Spanish-speaking woman who could, you know, be able to be a good listener and support for the mothers, especially who were speaking that day. So I, I think that sometimes our strengths are, of course, also our weaknesses, but I think they do bring a lot of <laughs> good things into who we can be in our work. Yeah, absolutely. Well, is there, in your opinion, in at least where you're working now, is there a growing demand for facilitation in these kind of environmental issues, or, or is it is the economy affecting the demand, or... What's your take on the future of facilitation in this particular arena? Yeah, I, I think that there's a real opportunity for the, for, I think I think you have to be a bit of an entrepreneur, but I think if you can be specialized in a field, the field that you were trained in originally, and then build a skill set around facilitation, I think you can offer something unique and valuable wherever you are. Whether you're facilitating, I mean, if you have a background as a teacher or education, you could work in schools and facilitate. I mean, schools and education, there's so much work to be done. Same with climate change. I mean, any issue you take, I think there's, we're in, where I am, people are always looking for facilitators with a specialized um, set of, you know, uh, some kind of specialized knowledge in their field, whether you're an engineer or, you know, what have it? So, <laughs> what'd you say? Biologist. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Chemist, anything. And I, and I think your background, you know, whatever the person can bring to it, you know, the, the facilitation skills will be very important and complementary. But I think folks, it, in what I am seeing here in California, is they want someone with specialized um, technical knowledge as well to help contribute to the process. And so I think there's a real opportunity for everyone, and I think that's what's really great about this field, that everyone can contribute something unique, because no one will have your same set of skills, right? You'll bring specialized knowledge and also relationships into the work with you. True. Wow. Wow. And, and if someone were a young person or a person new to, to uh, this field but with a passion for um, 
you know, helping in difficult situations. Um, what would you, how would, the, how would you recommend they get started? Is there um, anything, a book that you read or training that you took or, or any other kind of personal discipline that, that was particularly helpful to you as you came down this path? Oh, so many things. I, I think trainings are great. There's so many great trainings out there. I mean, the IAP2, the International Association for Public Participation, their five-day training is awesome. There are a lot um, shorter trainings, too, in lots of areas in every probably major city. There are at least one or two trainings. So I recommend training, but more than training, practice. There's so many facilitators I meet that weren't formally trained is how they got into this. They really got into it by doing. And so I think the most important thing is just getting out there and doing and finding opportunities, whether it's volunteer or just a phenomenal kind of honorarium to to start just get your <laughs> feet wet and try things out and have someone like what you've been for me, someone to bounce ideas off of and say, what could have I done next time? Or in this situation, you know, it went like this, but what could I try next time? And try to learn as much as you can from each experience to help and that will help you be kind of have more opportunities and tools for the future experiences. Yeah, I agree. It's it's a learning by doing that. There are certain principles, but then the reality of being up there and kind of work with you know, your lovely agenda with a marker in your hand is a different story. You know, it's different every time you go out. It's never exactly the same. So the more experience, the better. And and I agree with you. There isn't really a community or a field of anywhere that couldn't benefit from stronger facilitation skills. So I'm just thrilled to know that you're out there doing such great work in California. Well, I think we can wrap this up unless there's something else you'd like to say. Well, fantastic. Just thanks for the opportunity and thanks so much for everything. Well, it's terrific to have such great colleagues and uh, we will stay in communication. Thanks, Tara. Hasta luego. Hasta luego. I hope you really enjoyed that last interview and I also hope that you're kind of hungry to have more opportunities to learn from experienced facilitators like the ones featured in this series. If that's the case, I have great news for you. The Bonfire Collection, a complete reference guide for facilitation and change will be available starting May 12th. This compendium of useful information written by working experts in the field provides the practical tips and inspiration you need when you're working with groups. The material is organized into all of our favorite topics, including facilitation, effective meetings, participatory processes, conflict, consensus, leadership, and more, so you can easily find the content that you're looking for. The Bonfire Collection will provide you with answers to your questions about how to deal with the challenges of working with groups, tools for increasing group participation, and inspiration for supporting change through your great facilitation. It's kind of like having a personal coach at your fingertips. The Bonfire Collection comes in three formats, hard copy, e-ring notebook, e-book, and downloadable PDF. 
all contain the same great information and you can get your copy of the Bonfire Collection at a special launch price if you buy before May 30th. Add the Bonfire Collection to your facilitation toolkit as soon as it becomes available on May 12th.